0: Hi, everybody. I'm Ralph Benmergi. Welcome to Not That Kind of Rabbi. Um, I'm not a rabbi. Uh, I'm a spiritual director, but I'm not a rabbi. If I was a rabbi, I wouldn't be that kind of rabbi. I should clarify that a little. There's this thing I always felt when I was younger, and a lot of people who ended up saying bye-bye to whatever religion they were brought up in, was that they didn't feel like they were part of it. There, there was a presentation for them every Saturday or Sunday or Friday, and that they were more audience members than congregants. And a lot of that has changed over the years for a lot of people because they've demanded it. But really, there was this thing of the rabbi was, it's, it's kind of the same thing that drives education, which is sage on a stage, right? Somebody who stands in front of you, who has authority and power uh, and supposedly wisdom, Uh, and you're to drink it up and then spit it back out to them as having been understood, because that's a lot of how schooling works, and that's apparently a lot of how a lot of things work. And in the rabbi tradition, it's always a good idea, in my opinion, to stay away from this idea that you are somehow literally, physically four steps above them on what's called a bima. Uh, delivering uh, wisdom to them. I like a much more participatory idea of what things are like. And uh, that requires, you know, getting your, getting your spirit mucky and getting it in there with other people. Uh, Or as one of my rabbis used to say, how you get it on with God, which is a whole thing in and of itself. Um, I am having a weird week. Um, I'm still, I still have a little, Younger children at home and older children my older children my one of them just turned 34 My other one's 30. He'll be 31 soon and the other ones are 14 and 11 so that and he just turned 11 so uh, In the middle of pandemic uh, We're still sort of trying to do as one of my friends says emergency distance learning. It's not homeschooling It's emergency distance learning, which is a big difference Uh, And that's kind of ignited in me this thing of, oh, do you even want to send them back into that place? Do you want to do this again? You know, and having had four kids, four boys go through this, I'm always like, Ken Robinson writes, uh, uh, has a very popular TED talk on how you kill creativity in children. And they show a picture of kindergarten and grade one, and there's paintings and pictures and colors. And then they go to, grade four, and there's half as many pictures and paintings and color. And then they go to grade eight, and there's no paintings or pictures or colors or animals or anything. It's just let's get this thing done. So I was in a creativity workshop in another job I had where I was part of facilitating this workshop. And people were talking about this TED Talk and how it kills creativity. You know, we're killing, the the education system is killing it And it just, I I finally thought this thing and I went, "Uh, wait a minute, isn't it us who's killing it? Aren't we the ones who are saying we demand a result? I want to see a mark. I want to see utility. I want to see a job. Aren't we the parents who are pushing the kids through the system to make sure that we're reassured that they're going to be okay, whatever that means? Any artist will tell you that one of the things that's very difficult is telling your parents, this is what I'm going to do with my life because they kind of glaze over mostly or shrink a bit because they're so worried for you that you're going to now, what you've just said to them is I'm going to starve to death. And they are like, Oh my God, no, be a plumber. It's a hundred K a year. Everybody needs a plumber. Nobody needs a, you know, a mime. Right. So I've been thinking about all that stuff and all of this, uh, pandemic isolation, and it's so interesting to see how this long pause is manifesting itself spiritually for people, because they really, all the diversions are, are reduced, all the commuting, all the, the the running around, all the, hey, let's get together, never getting together, all those things are over for now, and we just have to kind of come into ourselves in a contemplative moment, and I keep praying that we're going to get something better out of this, and yet I keep thinking it's like the minute you open the gate again, we're all going to run back out there and buy stuff we don't need and do things (laughs) we don't want and just waste so much good time. So I hope we all stay safe and well, but I hope that we just have to hold on a bit longer so we can try to imagine a different way forward. So there's my rant. There's my little Devar Torah for the day. Um, I've got a guest who you could say she's a singer. You could say she's a musician or a songwriter. You could also say she's a poet. And if you look at her artwork, it's fantastic. You could say she's an artist. I don't think there's any difference between all of those things, but I'll find out from her what she thinks. Uh, And uh, I think the last, see, I remember the last time we met as being in Vancouver on somebody's talk show and I don't know if she remembers this, but Jack Layton was also on the talk show. uh, And so was a woman from the Fraser Institute. And we all went out for dinner after. And the woman from the Fraser Institute basically basically came out and said, poor people are poor because they're not trying hard enough. And Layton uh, jumped up. And I, I've known Jack, well, I knew Jack for, for a long time at that point, but he, he can really get angry at these things. And he just waltzed out of there after ordering a bottle of wine for the table. And we did realize that we had to pay for that. <laughs> because he's gone now because he's so angry. And now I'm going, how much is the wine exactly? Um, All right. Enough blabber. Sarah Sleen is my guest right now. How are you, Sarah?
1: I'm great. I can't believe that you remember that in such detail.
0: (laughs) Well, it's because, because, first of all, what that woman said was so horribly insulting to people who uh, Mm. don't have means. And also, it was such a jack moment. And that you and I, and I I believe my wife was with us too, uh, we're all sitting there stunned. And then when we get over the fact that he leaves, then we realize... (laughs) He's left us with the bill. He's he's
1: so, he was so passionate, like authentically passionate. Yeah.
0: Well, he was a fighter. Mm -hmm. A a lot of people in the NDP, and I spent some years, you know, with that kind of folk after my CBC days, um, they're very used to being the one who has to fight for everything, fight for media coverage, fight for Mm -hmm. respect, fight for workers. And sometimes they can't turn that thing off. Yeah. Like you can agree with them, and there's still a fight going on. You're like, no, wait a minute! I I said, um, never mind. (laughs) It's in your DNA. There's nothing I can do about it. You know, I guess the world needs. I don't know if the world needs fighters. Mm. What do you? We got
1: a lot of fighters now. I mean, I Uh used to think that it was the right wing that was full of these people that thought they knew everything, and now we got all those people in the left wing too. So it's a little bit scary these days.
0: It's the same thing with spirituality that if you're what i find is the more you want orthodoxy the more you want like this is the way to do it mm-hmm. you know it's even in a relationship if if you got one person who says this is how you cut tomatoes this is exactly the right way i went to chef school mm-hmm. and then you're going you know what like i just i've always cut tomatoes this way we still eat them right yeah so, but
1: the one constant is change the world is constantly changing ways to do things are constantly changing because the environment in which you do them is constantly changing but human beings don't like that human beings long for certainty static answers and static answers do not exist in a dynamic universe
0: so you've done some thinking about this universe thing I think
1: (laughs) I have I have indeed I read a lot of books about I'm so delighted to hear that you are, have a podcast devoted to these kinds of questions and inquiry um, so interested in it I've already listened to a few found them fascinating um, but yeah my my bookshelves are are rammed with all kinds of um, books about these these questions and about uh, thinking about what it is to be human.
0: What do you find yourself attracted to which kinds of books and what kind of thinking and-
1: well, there are a few thinkers that um, have really shaped my worldview or metaphysics, for lack of a better word. That's what I call my last record. Yes, you um, did. I, I really love the work of Thomas Merton, the oh, Trappist yeah. monk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, I forget the – something, uh, Seven Story Mountain, I think it was. I read that when I was in my 20s. And I, I have to confess, I really – the main theme of that for me was his feeling of um, – nausea almost or like um such dissatisfaction with himself and the world the way it was and what he was being told to do or you know how to click into the this the the script like he just was so repelled by it and for me as in my 20s I could relate to that I really related to that and uh, but the the work of his that I, I thought was the most profound was called uh, Seeds of Contemplation, and that's that's the fruit of someone spending a lot of time in silence and a lot of time observing his own inner world, and I I mean like I don't you and I are not gonna to go to a Trappist monastery and, mm. and spend a decade uh, discovering our mind and a uh, relationship with the natural world. So it's, so getting um, a passport to that uh, written so beautifully and eloquently is, is quite the, the feat. I also love um, Tolstoy, I love mm. Joseph Campbell. And I also think one of my, I would say one of my spiritual mentors would be Rainer Maria Rilke, the poet. Mm. Mm -hmm. He wrote a fabulous book, Letters to a Young Poet, that I know a lot of people were very moved by. But even his poetry is so, so inspired, is so connected to the divine, whatever you want to call it. Um, And I, yeah, I am super inspired by his work. All right,
0: so I stop you at whatever you want to call it. (laughs) That's a qualification. Do you have a feeling of uh, something bigger than yourself, in, in all of this?
1: Well, to quote Carl Jung, I don't believe I know,
0: (laughs) you know, I,
1: there's no question to me that, um, the universe is radiantly alive. You know, I, I experienced that. I've experienced it in technicolor a few times. Um, but there's a slow simmer all the time of that awareness. What got you
0: the technicolor thing?
1: Um, I spent some time at a Buddhist monastery that was run by Thich Nhat Hanh. Oh, yes. Um, I don't know if he's, I think he's actually passed away now.
0: No, I don't think so.
1: Is he still alive?
0: I'll check, but I don't think Mm -hmm. Thich Nhat Hanh should be alive. still.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. So his place was called Plum Village in France. And at the time I was living in Paris, my record was coming out in France. So I was touring all over the place. And when we were on our way home from the south of France, going back to Paris, um, they dropped me off at the little station and I waited for the van with all the nuns and the brown robes to show up and they took me to this to Plum village and it was it was amazing it was amazing to be in his presence um, to do what was it like what was him. it like it was you really are confronted with your own, your mind's own sort of spastic um, repulsion to discomfort of any kind right? Mm-hmm you like looking at itself doesn't want to do that you know we all experience that when we attempt to meditate um but also you know tolerating other people <laughs> in close quarters being patient um, about all kinds of things um uh, screaming children uh, no food left in the food line like you name it um and i was there for i think 10 or 11 days and there was a lot of sitting meditation a lot where your back would ache and you were just bored out of your mind and your, your own consciousness was just, you know, having a tantrum. Like I need to look at something. I need to be distracted. I need to process some information, you know, and confronting that is very difficult, but on the other side of it, I mean, I think the, those technicolor experiences I had were maybe a result of getting past Um, those tantrums, but it's very temporary. Unfortunately, (laughs) my mind has gone right back to um, needing diversion. But,
0: you know, but it's an interesting thing, because in that emptiness is everything. So, right.
1: 100%. 100%. It's the stillness of, you know, the beginning of time itself. Like, I feel like that Overwhelming presence, the Buddhists call like equate presence and emptiness, you know, Thomas Merton talks so much about emptiness. And again, I think that's another thing that that human beings are very uncomfortable with. We we think of emptiness as a lack of something. Um, We think of emptiness as the absence of this paternalistic father figure that we have somehow made into the notion of God. Mm. and to me it's just it's not an absence of it it's just so much more than that
0: yeah there's in 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 the jewish traditions ein sof which in the buddhist tradition would be no thing nothing is no thing Mm -hmm. right Uh, but it's um connecting yourself to the so in hebrew you say hineni i am here
1: you Mm -hmm. don't say
0: where is god you say where am i and it is being able to connect to the actual moment, which as you just described, and certainly happens to me on a daily basis is I'm trying not to be here. Mm-hmm. I walk into the kitchen. I turn on the radio. I walk out, I turn off the radio. I walk into the other room. I get my phone out. I look at my phone. I, yes. I, I, I go outside. I see where the dog is. I'm trying to figure out, you know, and I just, you know, I find it so incredible that human beings who seek Know full well the richness of a journey and yet have so much difficulty being on that journey
1: mm-hmm. And I i've actually kind of drawn a bit of a conclusion from this and then I think that, that is the point of being here like it is in us This longing that you're describing It is a fab it's it's part of human beings and I think it's deliberately That way or that way for a reason, you know, I think that the, the earth plane um, the experience of being born and your consciousness growing and um, living suffering, you know, Buddhist life is suffering. It's unavoidable. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what this plane is about. It's a mm-hmm. kind of refinement or it's a kind of uh, schoolyard, if you will. Like that's, that's what I believe. And I, I feel like the echoes of that are in almost every religious or uh, spiritual path that I've read about.
0: So there, you you put out a call on, on social media, which is how I connected back to you. Uh, anybody want to start a utopian commune? <laughs> so w- w- what prompted that?
1: <laughs> oh, I, how have you been doing with the news lately, Ralph?
0: Well... um I think that I actually was in more despair about the state of the world before the pandemic started. Really? Well, because I I work a lot with um, uh, environmental and political environmental groups Mm -hmm. uh, trying to help with communication. And there I am thinking, what is it I have to figure out to say to you to get it through your head that we're killing our planet, Mm -hmm. that we're killing Mother Nature? Like that, we're literally killing Mother Nature. Like, how, how many different ways can I try to get you to go? Hey, mm-hmm. are you hello? Yeah. What the hell are we doing? Yeah, and then we had to stop everything. And for me, it was like I said at the beginning of this program, it was a bit of a blessed relief to be able to enter into an enforced stillness.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, like, and I think I think that, as you said in your intro, like this is a kind of moment of reckoning. It feels to me like nature finally went, I'm going to have to put you guys in your room for a while. It's t- <laughs> time, it's time out. for a timeout. It's time for a timeout. And I mean, there's no question that we're destroying the natural world, but there's also no question that nature is mightier than oh. human ideas. We, It's just mightier. And if we overstep, it will eliminate us and you know nature will continue humans might not I actually don't think that that's going to be the case I think I have this kind of ridiculous optimism in terms of the fate of humankind I maybe that is uh, uninformed <laughs> but,
0: but I really <laughs> Why, do... what 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 fuels the optimism because I, I'm a, I'm an optimistic person but I I'm very sad I am too
1: and I I mean that's that's kind of why I put out that call on social media. It was kind of a a tongue in cheek um, commentary on George Floyd and just the, the terrible sadness you feel seeing violence and seeing suffering um, and feeling totally powerless to do anything about it. Um, And just seeing, you know, like the endless cycle of man's inhumanity to man, it can be disheartening, you know, but I, I, I think people will take from this enforced pause. Uh, at least I feel like this is what I'm going through. I'm sort of reevaluating what actually matters to me and what I actually want to use my time for. How am I going to spend my hours? You know, like what have I missed the most during this pandemic? Doesn't matter that, okay, sure, 75% of my income evaporated, <laughs> but- <laughs> But does, is that what I care about? Am I, you know, I'm in a position where I don't have to really super freak out about that just just yet. But is that what I'm missing the most? No, I'm missing the interaction with human beings, and not just the humans that I love. I'm missing going to a cafe and yeah. and exchanging energy with people who are like old people, like little children, people like strangers, you know, to see human lives and to exchange that invisible energy exchange that happens that provides us with this kind of inexplicable, uh, joy and contentment. That's what I miss. I miss my fellow human beings. I mean, Mm -hmm. and, and that I think that that's waking some people up to priorities and what truly matters. And, you know, seeing how that particular tweet about utopia blew up. <laughs> um,
0: oh, yeah. What kind of responses did you get? Like, well, what do people well, say?
1: I think that this is a very common hope or common longing in, in human beings. You know, like community is so essential to our well-being. We are social animals. And the world is kind of constructed so that you're in a little nuclear family unit or a partnership. And it's a very small little bubble. but you know, that is a great thing to share love with your, your intimates, but the larger community is also responsible for so much of, uh, the human experience of joy and, and being removed from that, I think opens a lot of eyes like, wow, like my life is less rich now, you know, like even the experience of trying to do online concerts, I've done two so far and I'm going to do a third next week. Um. I thought, oh, this is going to be lame. This isn't the same as being in a theater with people. This is so weird. And I'm just playing my old piano in my living room. It was magical just Ooh. to connect with faces on a computer screen, seeing them react to the music, doing, you know, taking QA sort of situation, hearing people, seeing them in their various environments, enjoying the Ooh. chat room, enjoying the songs. Like it was amazing. This is food for human beings you know like being together and uh maybe i don't know if this is naive but i think maybe people will reorganize their lives after this to include more of that
0: so there's the thing that desire to to go towards the light and that oh look a squirrel uh, that makes you go, maybe next week I'll go look up. Yeah. Like when you went to Plum Village, you were obviously seeking something and, and you had a, a wonderful experience, but then you said, it doesn't last. Mm-hmm. So how do you sustain your spiritual, uh, as they say in Yiddish, zets, your, your, your spiritual energy? I mean, cause I see it in your paintings. I hear it in your mm-hmm. voice. So, what's the fuel that you're using? Is it organized, unorganized, personal, shared? How do you do Mm. it?
1: That's interesting. So in music that I find that there are, you know, it's a basket of skills. And I mean, I've spent a lot of time uh, crafting some of those skills, like, you know, learning to orchestrate and write for strings and, and do a lot of tech and figure out all these things, I can grow those skills, but they're nothing without that central fire of inspiration. And every artist or every writer of any kind knows what that feels like and they recognize it when it happens. And for me, it's very directly related to a sense of wonderment. And I can actively cultivate that, but I can't boss it around. I can sit down upstairs, go through my orchestration text, open up Cubase and get super nerdy about upgrading my skills, but I can't I can't get that magic flame going unless I actively uh, attend and wait for that magical muse. And you can obviously, I don't know if you've read Stephen Pressfield's War of Art, one of my favorite books on being an artist. He agrees that there is this kind of magical muse inspiration feeling that we're all waiting for that ignites the work that we love the most and connect with, with the most, but there's a way to make it easier for, for that muse to visit, you know, so you can't force it and you can't boss it around, but you can open the door and. Make it nice and cozy in your studio, and you know, return to your writing desk at a certain time every day and just lay out the welcome mat for it. And so that's
0: so the eat, pray, love woman, (laughs) Elizabeth Gilbert, was that her name?
1: Yep,
0: yeah, so she wrote something about that at one point where she said, The muse is like the horse that runs by, you're not, you can't ask it when it's going to run by, but if you're not available, you can't hop on.
1: 100 percent did you read the book big magic no that was one of hers and i i completely adore that book it's so but war of art i think might be my absolute favorite he yeah talks what's about his name
0: pressfield
1: pressfield yeah he talks even about even pressfield okay resistance and how you know, I think Margaret Atwood once said she'd she'd always rather do the dishes than sit down to write.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And I'm the same. And it's it's the monkey mind aspect of us. We are. It's funny, like we are. Okay, but
0: wait a minute. Maybe it's not the monkey mind. So mm. I, I have to write a script for something, um, or I have to just write a piece, and mm. I I'm downstairs, and I'm like, you know the computer's on the third floor. Like,
1: so far away.
0: Eh, yeah. So maybe, you know, <laughs> one of the kids need something. and well, You know, I, I, I like cheese a lot. Yep. I think I'll eat some cheese. I'll
1: just eat some cheese. We'll and stay then the I'll watch, floor.
0: I'll watch Deep Space Nine because I have to make sure I've watched every episode of every Star Trek series ever made. <laughs> and then I'm like, what is wrong with you, Ralph? I'm like, is, is this your ADHD? Is this the story of your life? And then I realize there is a moment that comes. The horse does go by. Yep. And then you get on it, and I write like that at that point. I'm just like, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think we're a little hard on ourselves, but I also think that there's so many different strands in what you're saying about different parts of the same result. Mm-hmm. You know, so some of it is the muse, some of it is availability and stillness, some of it is seeking, actually having a desire to find something. Greater than ourselves, and I and the other part is suffering samsara. You know the Buddhist samsara, the the, the clinging and grasping that is part of yep. human nature. Mm-hmm. No, but I'm Sarah Sleen. Like you know, what do you mean? It's mm-hmm. like when I used to go to the Toronto Film Festival and watch people at the uh, at the table for who could get into the party and who couldn't, hearing them yelling, "Do you know who I am?" Yeah. <laughs> And I wanted to get a t-shirt that just said, do you know who I am? Because people go, come on, they know who you are. Go in. And I'll be like, yeah. no, I, like I never snuck into a concert. I'm not that guy. Because I just thought if I get caught, I'll be so humiliated. I don't know know what to say. But we get so, there's so many different things pulling on the same person. And then when I saw your utopian commune, I thought, well, what's her utopia? Because... Your utopia might not be the same as the guy who thinks, you know, two Wendy burgers and, and an NFL football game is utopia. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, all utopias have failed, like every single one. <laughs> so <laughs> this is a this is a pipe dream. But I think all humans have within us this deep desire to connect with the muse, with the magic of existing, with that magic of existing that's in other people. Like we have, we are made of that longing, but we're simultaneously and equally afraid of that.
0: What of are we afraid of?
1: Connecting to the, the the spark of all life, being totally seen by someone else, you mm. know, m- making those authentic connections w- with You know the source of life in nature or in other people like we're afraid of it and so
0: but being seen will will reveal our lack of worth is that what we're afraid of
1: i think that that we this relates to the craving and aversion you're speaking of is that and the the ego you're talking about yes who i am it's like we we grab on to the masks we make for ourselves because we're afraid of letting go of those masks and I mean, I'll tell you, being a, a musician uh, <laughs> is yeah. a masterclass in <laughs>
0: having to
1: let go of masks because, you know, the world, the public is fickle. Your music changes, the world changes, like all kinds of things. Mm. As I said, this is a dynamic universe, nothing is static. And when we, in our 20s, we spend all of this time and energy building. That mask, the persona, right? We construct the ego, and we're like, "Hey, my ego is looking really good, and I like where my ego is taking me, <laughs> like how people react to my ego." And then, then it inevitably blows up in your face, right. and that- or
0: you're you're now vulnerable because it's, it's like when when I was a, a young a young guy and we were doing stand up comedy and stuff, and uh, you know, you'd get a good review. Mm -hmm. And you tell everybody you'd gotten this great review and it was great. And then you get a bad review and you'd freak out about the bad review.
1: Yeah.
0: And I I used to, I had to tell myself, wait a minute, if you're willing to believe them when they say you're good, not when you know you did something good, then you've got to believe them when they say you suck. Mm -hmm. Right. So ego also leaves you vulnerable to other people deciding whether or not that's an acceptable version of yourself.
1: Hundred percent, and I I always tell young artists to read the Bhagavad Gita, because in that scripture, Arjuna says to or Krishna says to Arjuna, I think he says that he says you have the right to your labor, you do not have the right to the fruits of your labor. Mm. And I think that about making music. It's like I make music from an authentic place. From that spark of wonderment, from that mysterious, you know, geyser of energy that sometimes blesses me, I make it from that place. And what happens in the world with it is none of my business.
0: (laughs) That's the way you have to think. (laughs) Oh yeah, yes,
1: letting go. That's that's what this schoolyard is all about. It's like the ego mask and that we create is not us. The, the thing that is us is that magical, mysterious power pushing the blood through your veins right now. It's mm. the thing that makes, you know, arugula grow in my backyard. I love
0: arugula. Really
1: what like. is this? Who knows what it is? It's, it's so intelligent. It's dynamically alive. Yeah. And we will be able to label it very carefully. We can manipulate it with science. And our, and our scientific knowledge, but we don't really fully understand it. I don't think we ever will.
0: So in there is another piece of spiritual journey, which is humility.
1: percent.
0: Right? Yes. Because the arrogance of, of how we lead our lives is because we believe we have mastered our environment. We believe mm-hmm. we have, we, I often say, uh, we are God. Yes. You know, it's like Alec Baldwin, you know, I am God. <laughs> you know, uh, when he was a surgeon in the movie. Um, and we do, we can't help it, right? Like, it doesn't matter if there was a, a, a violent thunderstorm last night. I was in bed and it didn't mean anything to me unless the tree went through my roof. It's not mine. It can be 25 below. I don't care. I can be inside this place. So we found a way to not be in our environments, right which is what we were talking about earlier in one yep. way or another mm-hmm. but what that alienation from things and uh, attach that these are the impediments to spirituality ego alienation and then you set up economic systems like uh, extractive capitalism that takes mm-hmm. things out but doesn't put things in yep. it doesn't matter what it does with it it, it just throws out a black plastic ba- box mm-hmm. with mushrooms in it and thing You can't even recycle black stuff. What'd you do that for? Uh So you end up with this kind of disconnect and heartlessness. And then what I'm interested in is, so you get up on a stage and they see this beautiful woman is about to open her voice and she's singing. It's such a lovely song and you know, all is one and it's all great. And we all stop for a minute and do this thing together, this church. Called music, and then we go outside and go, oh, f- fuck! Look at the parking lot, man. This yeah. is bullshit. I gotta get. And then home. we get
1: hypnotized again, right? Yeah,
0: I'm hypnotized
1: yeah. again, and I think it's so. Hearing you describe the world sounds to me like, you know, I always think that the macro and the micro are, you know, as without, so within, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. As above, so below, and the world itself is going through a sort of arrogant. 20s where the reckoning (laughs) is on its way you know and the the ego blowing up in your face is going to happen and maybe this is it maybe this is what's happening you know the the super ego identified 25 year old or 28 year old or whatever that is you know western civilization um is kind of meeting the the real consequences of that kind of identification Uh, Ego identification. There's a fabulous book by um, I think it's Ian McGillchrist called the master and his emissary And it's about the way a a sort of left frontal lobe Thinking human brain works is exactly as you're saying. It's extractive. It's like uh, Subject object, you know, and I I go in or I like as is in terms of uh, medical science You go into the body and there's a bad thing there and you you give the body drugs to destroy that bad thing there without understanding that the entire system works in harmony with every point in the system, you know, like it's a holistic thing. And you take this medication to destroy one part of it, like isolate this part and kill it. You're going to damage other areas of it, you know, and that's, that's the way the left frontal lobe thinks. It's just like isolate, capture, you know, figure out. And you can't do that with the dynamic ecosystems in nature, it, it really doesn't work that way. Right. And I think that we we are Symbolically kind of coming to the same realization in terms of how to live and how to think, you know, we can't we can't think about racism and environmentalism and Social justice and all of these things sexism as separate entities that need to be captured and destroyed. They're all related
0: right They're so related. The, the, so the the thing you're describing is like left lobe (laughs) whack-a-mole, right? Yes, right? Something pops up and like right now, uh, it's just the realization of the systemic racism in which we live. And that's going to be everybody's interview for two and a half weeks and three weeks. And then with sorrow, I say, we will move to the next thing. Because we have been here before. We, we have been here for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. And then we go back because what's next? The diversionary world that we live in. But I, I wonder.
1: But my point is, I think that these things come from a similar kind of consciousness. That right. one that separates subject and object.
0: Yes, Martin Buber does it. I in that, yes. I and yes. it.
1: And in a kind of um, like almost autistic level uh, of specific thinking of, you know, not seeing the forest for the trees kind of thing. And I think we've gone so far along not to d- to um, criticize autistic people at all, but I'm talking about that sort of hyper focus, right. On a, a single part. And I think we're moving away from that kind of thinking because we're realizing that all of these, all of the problems that are really reaching a fever pitch in society right now all stem from that kind of consciousness. And we are overdue for an expansion of consciousness. And I really think, and I hope that that is underway right now, because all of the institutions that the ego, left brain, frontal lobe kind of thinking have brought us, those institutions are all failing. They're failing in a massive way.
0: The so por- where does re- where does religion go into this? Is there any it- room for it, or is it just like oh screw that? That's just another problem.
1: No, I think I think it won't be organized religion. I think it will be uh, spiritual- disorganized religion. <laughs> <laughs> it will be a spiritual awakening, you know. And I think that um, people are feeling the pain of nature's destruction, and I think that um, the new spiritual spirituality that is overdue is going to be really rooted in nature somehow.
0: Okay, so I I hear what you're saying. I always have this problem of without a sustained practice, which requires, and my producer Mike and I have had this mm-hmm. conversation, requires that there are rules. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't get there. I mean, if there's no stop signs anywhere in the city, you're going to have people run over by by people That's all right. the time. Yep. So... <clears throat> why not organized why not say you know it'd be nice to think we might get together on friday night or saturday or sunday or fr- whenever yeah. it is but we're not going to because nobody's i'm not compelled to do that sort of thing
1: well i think i i know what you're saying but i feel like it's kind of already what i'm talking about is just a lack of orthodoxy right, right. like there are there are med- i belong to a meditation group for a few years called the consciousness explorers club and they, to me, I mean, they're not a cult or anything, but to me, this is a really interesting example of new spirituality because it's people of all faiths or or atheists, whatever, sitting together in a room trying to understand their own minds and in the process, developing community, developing a community that does this kind of self-inquiry, um, that values this kind of self-inquiry and they, organize events together they um they
0: right depend- so so it's great i mean mm-hmm. but that's that's intentional community
1: yes and i think to me that is indistinguishable from religion except for uh organized religion has done you know a lot of damage <laughs> with orthodoxy with um all kinds of shame narratives that i think do not serve human beings um I think that the new spirituality is going to not include those aspects. And to be more, it's less left brain, right? It's a multiplicity. It can handle not having clear fence posts, right? These people get together with no goal in mind other than to more clearly understand their minds. What does that mean? What does that look like? Who knows? It's It's different for everyone.
0: But if one's a vegan and one's a, a meat eater, who cares?
1: Exactly.
0: Right. Uh, um, yeah. Uh, you know, it sounds like you 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 have an intentional spiritual life.
1: I can't survive without it. I I feel that in the heart of most people is um, an unfathomable level of love that we just have not even scratched the surface of yet you haven't even scratched the surface of it with your spouse or your children you know i just think that i feel like that's the fabric of the universe that's the emptiness that's the mystery that we all get glimpses of but don't fully understand and that's also the mystery that we're so terrified of Mm. like i think of you know is it saul on the road and he meets you know he sees this blazing light and he you know collapses and has an epiphany and becomes Paul. Like I, I think that's what those scenes in scripture are referring to It's like the, the love or the face of God or whatever you want to call it is so huge. It is so huge that we can't grasp it with our minds in our, in the current state they're in. We just can't, we can't right. understand it. We can't witness it, but we can intuitively sense its presence. And I, and my life without, you know, seeking those uh, moments of feeling that presence would be bereft. It would be bereft of music, certainly. Um, but it would be, I would not experience, um, being alive in the same way at all.
0: There's so much in what you're saying. And, you know, some people say God is love and I've always struggled with that because I, I think, well, no, God is everything. So if God is everything, God is hate. God is love. God mm-hmm. is life-affirming, life-denying. It, it's, but the thing I hold on to that you just spoke about is unknowability. Yes. It, it's really not my business. I just know that it's something seriously is going on around here.
1: That's it. Do you know, so Joseph Campbell, the man who wrote The Power of Myth and uh, is famous for saying, you know, find your bliss or whatever. There's a beautiful story of him going to visit some wonderful sage guru in India somewhere. um, And he was trying to get this visit with this very important person. It was very difficult. Finally, he got in and you're only allowed to ask this man one question. And... He said to him, if if God is everything, um, how can we say no to any of it? And this is, you know, this is a profound question. And the guru just looked at him and I don't remember what he said, but then later said to his assistant, the American is very close to enlightenment.
0: Mm.
1: (laughs) And I thought that was so beautiful because it's true. Like, you know, in in the Bible, which I've read a few times as well, like I feel like all of the trials, all of the the betraying of God, all of the sinning, mm. all of the error is part of the the necessary tr- the formula to getting closer to this understanding that love is the Love is God, this patient waiting for your errant son who has done all of these ridiculous things, but finally makes his way back to you. And God or love or whatever it is welcomes this, you know, sinning son with open arms. That to me is like, that's what's going on here. We are here to make yeah. all of these mistakes in order to peel away all of these masks, to peel away all of the uh, what's unimportant to finally come into contact with the throbbing heart of existence itself which is to me that profound love
0: why do you keep saying or whatever it is
1: (laughs) well i feel like the word god has been so twisted and changed and
0: yeah but you're gonna reown it well, I'm, I'm in the process of reowning it. I'm tired of people telling, like, you want to, I always say to people, you want to buzzkill at a party, just say the word God. Right? <laughs> right, but t- t- tough shit. I mean, like, I'm sorry, but I have to call it something. I don't really know what it is, but I got to give it something as, so I can focus my mind on unknowability. Yes. yes. That's hard enough as it is, right? Well, but-
1: in Taoism, they say, you know, the Tao that can be named is not the Tao. Right. And I think that that's pretty true. And when you say God, it's it's again, the left brain sort of drawing this little fence around something, trying to isolate it and define it. And So maybe you
0: know, we should call it or whatever it is.
1: <laughs> exactly. I'm going I, to
0: worship whatever it is.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you can see this quote on my wall back here, but this is my version of God right here. It says, it say? love is infallible. It has no errors for all errors are the want of love. And That was by William Law, who was a famous Quaker. I think he um, started love the Quakers. Quaker religion. Yeah. But to me, that's it. You know, that's that's the heart of this Tao that cannot be named, is this m- mysterious trending towards love and understanding so, love. so
0: Thomas Merton, this Quaker, these people are all immersed in a religious practice Which some would argue is the way that they've actually been able to cultivate the kind of wisdom that you get to use
1: mm-hmm. Well, I, for my my religious practice is music Right. Yeah,
0: absolutely I, and art mm-hmm. is that different is it like because The communion between you and a canvas and you and an audience are two different things
1: absolutely um, you know, one is a very silent um, eye-based practice where you're making something that will be still and, you know, solid. Whereas the other one is totally invisible and happens across the axis of time and then vanishes, you know, it's nothing you can see and stare at and, and, you know, absorb with your eyes. It's this thing that, it's a, it's an ear experience that does that doesn't last it's ephemeral so, so
0: there's an interesting thing because the so the in a buddhist lens or in, in many mystical spirit, spiritual practices in different religions through the lens of that um painting would be idolatry hmm right he, yes. like if you if you make a painting in, in a buddhist monastery you they'll expect you to roll white paint over it
1: to, right. as soon as
0: you're finished That's the right. mandela right yes uh and then what you said about performing as when i think to the days of performing that i've done in my life it, i used to host a lot because if you were a stand-up and you had an act you could only go back to the gig once every six, seven months because the same audience is going to see your act and that's not a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as a host, you could just be with the audience that night. And the thing I learned was don't try to do last night's performance, Yes. right? Like we killed, we were just in Kamloops and we killed and now we're going to Vancouver. And then you think, yeah, let's do that. You, gone you have <laughs> to, yeah, You have to be where that night is mm-hmm. with, with that audience Doing that thing Mm -hmm. so it's much more so art itself you can tend to Attach more easily because there's the permanence idea when you make a painting. That's it.
1: That's it But I find that's fascinating. Yes um And the 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 lesson of impermanence is unavoidable though I mean that painting, you know may last 50 years, but eventually Um, whatever it is is going to disintegrate. So yeah, but I want
0: to put it on my wall
1: Right. (laughs) That's the idea. Put it
0: on your wall and walk by it every day. You can't Mm. put last night's performance on the wall.
1: That's right. Well, some people would say that a recording is that, but again. Okay. But if
0: you sat around listening to your own recordings every night, then then you have a serious problem. (laughs) You're either like, I'm never going to be good enough or my God, I'm good.
1: Right. (laughs) (laughs) I'm neither of those. So
0: (laughs) I hope not. (laughs) Yeah. Neither one of them would make you happy. What's Mm. happiness about then? Like, where do you find your happiness of life? Uh,
1: inquiry and change. And uh, to go back to, I guess, my defining word, it would be wonderment. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I think Glenn Gould said that the the purpose of art was to cultivate a sense of a constant state of wonder and serenity. And I, I really cling to the first one because serenity seems to be in short supply in the internet age, but <laughs> <laughs> uh, wonder for me is always an abundant supply. And I think that um, that's where my music comes from. That's where um, my desire to grow and continue comes from. And I think um, I, I would like to think that it makes one gradually a better person because the more appreciation we have for um, the truly wondrous things that are in our lives. If you think about it, like it's, first of all, it's astonishing that our bodies work the way they do. It's astonishing.
0: When you get older, (laughs) (laughs) you'll start going, you know what? This thing isn't quite working the way I think it's supposed to be working.
1: All my knee bothers me. It's all good.
0: Leonard Cohen. I used to, uh, I ache in the places I used to play.
1: Right. (laughs) (laughs) yes but i mean there's a man who knew about wonder he had a state of wonder about his own spiritual agony you know like he had a state of wonder about um a dissatisfied search for god or a dissatisfied search for you know something complete in a romantic relationship something complete in a sexual relationship he he had a state of wonderment about all of those things. So I interviewed,
0: I, I interviewed him once. I don't mean to interrupt, but I, I have to tell yeah. you this story before I forget. It. I, I have it. So I interviewed him once for radio in a long, long form interview. TV, you know, you get five minutes. But this was like one of those CBC 17-minute jobs, which I, I loved long. I still love long form interview. I think it's much more interesting. So I'm interviewing him and I said, so I guess like you're, you're a Buddhist now. And he uh, he knew I was Jewish, and and he, and he said, "I'm not a Buddhist, I'm a Jew." I said, "But Leonard, you just spent six years studying at a Buddhist monastery outside of LA. Like you're like, are you not a Buddhist by now?" And he goes, "You know what, Ralph, within every religion, there is everything you seek. So when I think of Thomas Merton or Richard Rohr, you know, Catholics. And then you think of, you know, sort of retail Catholicism and think, Oh, there's everything. Right there. But then there's these people who stay within their discipline as it were, mm-hmm. and deepen and deepen and deepen. Yes. And he said, the way I see it is that there's a fence around the sacred in my life. And that's my job is to grow the garden inside that fence and not have people trample all over it as they walk by. Amen. And that he said, I, 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 I am what I am. I, I'm, I'm and Cohen. Uh, in Hebrew is priest, mm. right? If you're, fr- there are three levels of being in it. Kohanim, the Cohens, are the priests, uh, the highest order. The Levites are the holy men underneath them. And then the Israelites are commoners like me. So uh, Levites, for instance, uh, cannot be, and Cohens cannot be near a dead body, mm. right? So in a funeral home, they're behind a, a, a glass, watching the the funeral service from there mm-hmm. and, and they're they're not they're not to engage with it but my point is that what he felt was you know like if you're if your commune uh, has its slogan which is or whatever it is <laughs> <laughs> then
1: welcome to whatever it is
0: right and then if somebody came in and said no no I want to do an organized thing and here you go no no we're, we're, we're whatever it is. So, right away, you're starting to set up rules of you, you right. can't do this and you can't do that. So, I think it's human nature to do those things. Yes. But what I love is your passion for inquiry. Mm-hmm. I, I love that, like, you were 20 and looking, you you know, you're still looking that.
1: Desperately looking in my 20s. In fact, what drew me to these kinds of questions was being in a terrible amount of pain. Mm. <laughs> like, I I really do think that. That is suffering's purpose. It's to burn away all that is untrue, and that includes one's ego constructions. That includes um, all the clinging and um, aversion that we our brains are just set up to do. Like mm. it's it's beyond all of those. It's in that the little sacred garden that Leonard's talking about. And yes. it's not,
0: but it never ends, right?
1: It never ends. Yeah.
0: My goodness! So all beautiful. this because I saw a tweet of yours. <laughs> Who knew? I know.
1: It's
0: a lovely thing. It's a lovely thing. So life sounds rich. I'm not big on happy or unhappy. I'm big on rich or or poor.
1: Yes. And I think that's that's a really great way to think about it. I mean, I am more comfortable with uncertainty now than I have ever been in my Mm, life. That's big. It is. And I'm also more... Um, deeply connected to that sense of wonder I'm talking about than ever before Um, I've experienced the first big losses of my life too like I, my grandmother who I loved very very much who was a really inspiring person in my life she passed away last this year Um, and that was you know like these are great lessons in that you know this is it there's no dress rehearsal this is it right now It's happening to you right now. And to never lose that sense of awe, gratitude, wonderment, at even the stuff that sucks, you know, (laughs) even the distressing news. I I have so much pleasure in eating a tomato from my garden. Like it's maybe a little bit weird, but
0: (laughs) (laughs) not really. (laughs) No, no, it's, it's, um, it's a connecting piece. So when your grand grandmother died, mm. <clears throat> um, where what happened? Where'd she go?
1: Ooh, oh, we're going there too. Wow. <laughs> Mike is scratching his beard. <laughs> mm. Okay, well, I'm just going to put out there my my feeling. I think that we are very special creatures. Maybe that's my human arrogance, or I just think existence with uh human consciousness is a very unusual thing in the story of earth at least the story of earth mm. that we know about so i think that you know we are a product of the intelligence that is the universe but there's extra intelligence there you know like human consciousness is unique for a reason and well that's at least what i think but cannot prove um and i think that when we die our, the organic matter that is us you know dissolves back into the um quantum soup if you will Mm. this field of time and space that we walk through but the the something that is the the consciousness or the intelligence i'm not so sure that it's just simply a camera angle that you know dims and closes and fades to black i actually think that it that something about it persists um I, I don't know exactly how, and I don't know exactly what persists, but I, um, I do think that something persists. And I'm pretty sure it's not anything to do with our ego constructions. Um, right. But I do think that there is a kernel there that remains, perhaps comes back. Who knows?
0: The 23 grams, mm. the soul.
1: 100%. It- I'm a believer in the soul, no question.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And, but when I when I uh, engage in religious practices with people, when it gets hyper-specific about the afterlife, I go, come on. Exactly. Seriously? Yeah. And then you go into room D. And there's a guy there. His name is Mendel. Yeah. You'll like him. Be careful. The questions are tricky. Yeah. Right? I'm just like, come on. Like, yeah. We have no clue. But I do sometimes, like, and I also have a problem with this, you know, in, in, in religion at times, this, how special we are, that we are the special beings of, and this God is having Mm -hmm. a conversation literally with, hi, Sarah, how are you? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, what? Yeah. There's not a guy who's actually checking up to see how I'm doing. This is not transactional.
1: But I also oh. think the other extreme, like I, I think that the you know, Carl Sagan's pale blue dot and how tiny mm. we are in the universe, like right. I also think that the the odds of the earth being calibrated perfectly for this specific kind of life is so I mean it's just a spectacularly improbable event that we have arisen. Mm. It's it's really mind-blowing that we exist. The, mm-hmm. I, I am never Lost on that fact that it is strange, wondrous, and miraculous to be at all. And, yeah, you know, then, I, that doesn't, I don't <clears throat> think that's proof that of our specialness in the eyes of uh, the source of the universe, but I do think that it is uh, something we can't lose sight of because, you know,
0: yeah, I know, but the giant
1: universe, I but, know,
0: and some of the stuff we, into, like you said, it's not a dress rehearsal, and yet. You could have fooled me. Three quarters of the things I, 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 I see going on around me. I just think, really? Yeah. Costco? Yeah. Okay. You know, I'd like a four liter Jamoka almond fudge wheel, please. You know. <laughs> it's like, really? That's it? That's where we're going? You know? We just find ways and I guess I don't know what it is about us that uh, we underachieve considering all that wonder and awe and beauty and i guess the further away we get the more we pave over our trails the more we 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 don't connect you know it's like when you're beside the ocean you understand you have built-in humility Mm -hmm. you look at it and you go, that thing could kill me Mm -hmm. if i am so arrogant as to walk out on those slippery rocks and think i'm cool Mm -hmm. i had a friend once and he was in california And him and another friend of mine, they were doing acid that day. So they go out into the beach and they're sitting on these huge rocks in the, in the oceans there and his back, this is the arrogance, right? His back is to the waves and he's just sitting there and just say, Hey man, he's trying to get the attention of my other friend and the wave comes in and it washes right over him and miraculously he's okay. Uh It just as easily could have taken him out to sea and killed him. Yeah. And he got up and he just said, what am I thinking? Like, what, who do I think I, and just, you know, walked away, crushed, right? Mm-hmm. Like,
1: mm-hmm. What
0: kind of a jerk turns his back on the ocean? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Lesson. So that, that's the humility part. So it's interesting. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, listen, I've taken a lot of your time. I really appreciate the time we spent together. It's been a very long time since I've seen you in person.
1: Oh, thank you. Likewise, it was so nice to speak with you.
0: And I, and I love that this is because you sent out a a, a playful tweet. Thought, <laughs> oh, Sarah, I haven't spoken to Sarah in a long time. We were uh,
1: thinking of calling the commune avant garden How do you like? You think that's good? I like
0: what or whatever it is. <laughs> or whatever it is you know, or you could go avant-garden or whatever it is.
1: I like it. That's catchy.
0: Right. That's, that's on the back of the t-shirt. The front is avant-garden with all the nice artwork and all that. That's the commodified version. And then Thank the, you. I have no idea what the hell I'm talking about. Is on the back. <laughs> well, take care of yourself. And you uh, I hope you have a wonderful concert. And I hope that you get back on to doing what you love and, I'm sure that the experience you have with the audiences is nourishing to your soul. So I hope you get that back and people should go to your website, check out your discography and also your artwork and poetry and just, just get to know you a little better because uh, I know you have your following, but I'd love it to be even bigger. So
1: thank you so much Ralph. I appreciate it.
0: You take care of yourself. Okay.
1: You too. Thanks guys.
0: Okay. Bye.
1: Take care. Bye-bye.
0: Sarah Sleen, Metaphysics is one of her albums, and her artwork is fantastic. And uh, Sarah has been making music since the late 90s and uh, doing it very, very well. Uh, It was in the middle of a tour with Hoxley Workman, and uh, that got stopped by all this pandemic stuff. But um, they do have music out that they've done together, so you can listen to that. She also does uh, stuff with uh, orchestras. She literally writes orchestral Um, Music with people and performs that as well. Very dynamic. Very interesting. Uh, I do have a personal plug two personal plugs actually Uh, One well three one is if you like not that kind of rabbi, please subscribe uh, And uh, you know give comments on what you think the show is and how whether you like it or not Uh, We're trying to build the audience Uh, Podcasts take a while to build you know, uh, so we are doing that and we're building that audience, but we we'll, can only do it with your participation So not that kind of rabbi Facebook page is where you might want to go To sort of figure things out or leave your comments while you're there. You will see that I am doing starting Well, I've started one uh, this week and I have another one starting it next week uh, aging to saging workshops And these uh, workshops are for people who are interested in the journey into being an elder, not a senior, not looking for a discounted shopper's drug mart, but an elder, cultivating your wisdom, taking stock of what your life has been, and finding a way to renew your purpose as you get older. We live in an age that is deeply entrenched in ageism. And part of that you can see by the fact of If you ask anybody, would they want to be in a long-term care facility or in a low-income retirement facility, they will tell you no. And there's a reason for that. We don't cherish the people at the beginning of life enough, and we don't cherish them at the end of life enough. So the workshop is one I've done before and one I'd love to do with your participation. And I'm glad to organize them online with you and your group if you want to do one as well. So that's um, aging to saging workshops. And the last thing is uh, I've got two uh, series that are available on uh, Amazon Prime. On uh, Amazon Prime, you can get My Israel, a documentary series I did traveling back to Israel to see that country and Palestine through my Moroccan Jewish eyes. And The uh, other one is called God Bless America and we did it. We did it in 2008 during the presidential election Cycle about religion and politics in the United States. This is when Obama was um, uh, Elected to the highest office in the land if you can remember back before all hell broke loose But I really loved doing that documentary series and it's still absolutely valid today so um, my israel or god bless america are both available on amazon prime And if you watch them, please leave a review. We've just put them on so there's no reviews right now We want to get people uh, talking about them, but I certainly enjoyed them. They're a uh, five and six part series both of them so That's that that's my spiel So if you want me just uh, go to twitter at ralph ben Murgy, Or you can go to not that kind of rabbi the facebook page and you can always find this podcast by just typing in not that kind of rabbi and all the podcatchers will find it for you that's it for moi take care of each other and uh, we'll see you soon i'm ralph ben murgy bye